City Lights is a community of faith in Jesus, seeking to equip people to exalt Him and extend His kingdom. This message is from our study through the Gospel of John called Believe, Jesus Changes Everything. If you are encouraged and challenged by this message, please share it with someone, post it on social media, or let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. You know, Albert Einstein is perhaps one of the most curious people in human history. In fact, if you think about anybody who's an inventor or somebody who contributes a lot to society or moves society forward or answers problems, it's because they're curious. When they see an issue, they don't just submit to it. They go, what could we do? So anything from splitting an atom to all different kind of things like progressive hairstyles, Albert Einstein has given a lot to the world. And if you read some of the things that he said, he's quite quirky and quite funny. So I think it takes somebody who's a little quirky, a little funny, who walks maybe a little different than everybody else and goes to a different beat of a different drum. Albert Einstein, in my opinion, is one of those fellas. Here's one of the things that he said about how you discover things. It's a great quote. See, like, that's, that's a real picture, you know? Like, I had another slide. I'm like, no, it needs to be that one. That's a pioneer. He says this, if I have an hour to solve a problem and my life depended on the solution to this problem, I would spend the first 55 minutes determining the proper question to ask. For once I know the proper question, I could solve the problem in less than five minutes. Now, that's not like old school, swagger, proud. He's just saying, The best way to find a solution is just to ask as many questions as possible. In fact, that's like going to an SAT and just like asking follow-up questions to every question. Of course, you can't do that in tests like that. But in life, you know, that happens. Um, You know, if you're a father and somebody perhaps wants to date your daughter and they come and ask your permission to date your daughter, like I may or may not have experienced this last Friday at Universal Joint with a fine young gentleman, when let's say that were to happen and they were to ask a question like that. I'm not going to say anything more, Jerusha. Don't worry. And Annabelle's not here. She's serving with kids. She doesn't listen to the podcast. We're okay. So let's just say that were happening. It would be appropriate when the young man says, may I have permission to pursue your daughter to say, what do you mean by that? And then when they ask that question, you say, and what does that mean? And then when they answer that, you say, Now, what makes that different than what you're doing now? And then when they answer that, you say, so what do you like about my daughter? And when they say that and he says, is that enough? I say, no, tell me more. That's an okay thing to say for 55 or so or a couple hours and then say, yeah, you may pursue my daughter as long as she wants you to is the end. And I said, you have to, hypothetically speaking, I would say as long as she is interested and okay with you doing that. This is another funny Thing, but it's a true statement about asking questions. It's a simple little line. It's simply this. If you ask a question, it may make you look foolish or silly or unintelligent or the word stupid. I'm not encouraging your children or families to call people stupid, but it might make you look stupid if you ask a question. But if you don't ask it, you might stay and remain stupid for the next 55 years or 50 years or so. The point is this. Sometimes we think I'm not going to ask a question because I should know the answer. That's not a good reason not to ask a question. Or if I ask this, I'm going to look dumb. Most people who are asking the question are representing the majority of a room, by the way. It's okay. I remember one day, and I was already a pastor, and I asked another friend of mine who was a pastor, and I said, uh, and he was talking about Jesus Christ, and I said, so what, how did he get that last name? I was a pastor already. And he goes, what last name? And I said, Christ. And he goes, Chris, Christ is a title. It means the anointed one. I was like, oh, my goodness. 
well, I'm glad I asked that question. And I was a little embarrassed, but until I asked that question, I'm like, yeah, it's Chris Armfield, and then there's Jesus Christ. That's his last name. I, I didn't know that. And so perhaps some of you, you're like, no, I never, never asked that question. Well, I went from not knowing to knowing from asking questions. And sometimes we don't even know the questions to ask. But I'd love to say in this house, at this community, City Lights, especially at equipping environments or anytime we're together in city groups and we meet during the week or you're, you're at a one-on-one, questions and asking somebody questions is not seen as something that causes uh, distance. In fact, you're defining the space that you might feel between knowing and not knowing or, or understanding and growing in intimacy and knowledge and wisdom. You're defining it saying, could you help me understand this? That's not a bad thing. That's actually a really good thing. In fact, in as far as we understand as spiritual leaders here, we think that when you're asking questions about God and asking questions to God specifically, not just people, but asking God about himself and the way he sees, we see that as a sign of maturity, not as a sign of immaturity. In fact, if you're willing to approach God and ask him questions, that shows that you at least understand a significant piece that Jesus Christ died for you so that you could have a relationship with the living God and actually open your mouth and believe that he listens. And if you're asking a question and you're not just some out loud processor, not that that's bad, because I'm one of those, you should be listening for an answer. That's all really good theology, that God is a God who, who listens, and God is a God who speaks, and God is a God who entertains our questions. I don't want you to just take my word for it, though. It's specifically very clear in the scriptures. Listen, I think possibly, and this is a little bit of heart diagnostic, or life diagnostic, or, or the way we think about God diagnostic, meaning if this is something you do or don't do, it might mean this. The lack of asking questions to God in your life or my life may be the reason for the lack of intimacy you feel with God. I know for our student ministry, Andre Greiner leads our middle schoolers and high schoolers, and one of his primary things, if you've been here for years, he has consistently said, I want to help students, I want to help young people hear from God. And one of the ways they hear from God is they're going to be listening from God, and one of the ways you listen from God is you ask God something to listen to. So all the way down from our children and little lights and city kids to illuminate to this room right here, we're all learning what it looks like to be in a relationship with God. And being in a relationship with God, one of the things I want to make really, really clear today, and it'll be expressed very clearly in the scriptures, is that asking questions and then asking follow-up questions with God. And sometimes when we're asking questions and follow-up questions, we still have a gap. Sometimes it'll require faith, but asking questions and follow-up questions with God, I want to say is a sign of intimacy not a sign of immaturity. That's a sign of security in a relationship, not a sign of insecurity in a relationship. John chapter 14, verses eight through 11. Last week um, in verses one through 10, I really taught about one through seven probably. We just see that Jesus was talking about um, the spatial reality of God and God his Father in the kingdom. It reads very spatial, meaning like brick and mortar, physical. Even when he says, in my Father's house, in God the Father's house, there are many rooms. And that gets very subdivision and brick and mortar and beams and ceiling and fans and air conditioning and light. But if we understand it correctly in the historical context, that whole idea, it's a word oikos. It's actually talking about somebody's influence, not so much their possessions, but their presence. And he says, in God's presence, he has so much space that he has made for you so that you can experience him. And he's saying that very clearly. In fact, when he said that in chapter 14 in the beginning, there's one of Jesus' followers named Thomas. You might know Thomas because Christianity in the last hundred years or so calls Thomas the doubting Thomas. Uh, we don't really think of him that way, and I'll, I'll point out why in a moment. But when Jesus says this, and he says, hey, I, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and where I prepare that place for you, I'm going to come back and bring you to myself. We believe Jesus has already done that. 
It's not so much to make brick and mortar and set up an address like 77 Heaven Lane. He's saying, I'm going to do every single thing so that the, the influence that you see in me will be the influence that you experience with me, with Father, will all be one. As I am in my Father, my Father is in me, we will be in you, and we will be one, and you will be one. He goes on to say that later in these passages in the next three chapters. It's one of the most stunning portions of all of Scripture, and one of the most stunning things that's ever been said in history, and one of the most incredible things that Jesus says in his earthly ministry. So when he says, I mean, if you think about it, if, if, if Jesus, the actual son of God, was hanging out with you and he said, hey, I have to go away. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to rise from the dead and I'm going to ascend to heaven. I'm going to go to a place. But where I go, I'll bring you. I'm going to come back for you. That would be discouraging. That could make you troubled. That could make you confused. That makes plenty of sense. And he starts chapter 14 by saying, hey, don't be troubled. I know that what I'm saying might cause you to be troubled, but don't be troubled. And it's not just like an insensitivity. He's saying, hey, it, this will make sense to you. Just stick with me. Don't, don't let your heart be troubled by this. When the scriptures say a command like that, by the way, they're giving an allowance for the fact that you will face trouble, that you will be confused. That's why it's saying, hey, when you sense this, when you feel this, just remind yourself there could be another reality to believe. So in the midst of this, he's saying, don't be troubled. But Thomas, starting to understand, one of Jesus' close followers, Thomas, starting to understand says to him in verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, which it just means master, like saying sir, like a respectful way to a teacher. He says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Which is a great question. He doesn't just say, Jesus, you're crazy. You're nuts. I don't understand what you're talking about. He goes, wait a minute. How, if you're going to prepare a place for us and where you're going, we can't go. And, and where you go will be the influence of God, the father who we've never seen, but we believe you look like him. And we wanna, I mean, all these these thoughts that they had, what he says doesn't make total sense. So Thomas leans in and breaks the silence and says, I mean, it's just simple conversation. Lord, we don't know where you're going. What do you mean this house with many rooms? We've never seen that. Like where, what, what city is this in? Where, what land is this in? Are you actually gonna go physically build something like the temple? Like what's going on? How can we know how to get there anyway? Like if we don't even know where it is, how are you gonna get there? Guys, these are just reasonable questions. It might sound like if you read this, like your kid's in the back of the car when you're going on a trip and like, hey, where is this place and how long it's gonna take till we get there type thing. I know when we just went down to South Florida as our family a few weeks ago for Disney World, our youngest, who's nine, started the trip. I mean, we weren't even out of Greenville yet and said, hey, how much longer till we get there? And we're like, I'm driving. I'm like, it's nine more hours. And then she thought it was funny to go like, hey, are we there yet? How much longer? And, I, and Jerusha took over right there. You know, like she's like, we're, we're not gonna drive like this anymore. Sometimes we can read these questions as immature or silly or lacking perspective. I'd love for us to look at the scriptures not as like Thomas or Philip or Peter as an example of possibly somebody doing something great or doing something poorly. The people of scriptures actually can show us really what the presence of God's like, what he's like, what his personality's like. I'd like to say this passage, Timothy's question, and then what we're about to look at, Philip's question, actually shows us more about the personality of God rather than the personality of man. I don't want you to, and I'll hopefully prove to you, it's not good to look at that passage and go like, I wouldn't want to be like Thomas. I'd be like, I just believe you by faith. But Jesus is not the God who's just saying, hey, here's what I say to do. And you're like, okay. And you're sitting there going like, I have no clue what he's talking about. This is so weird for me, but I'm a person. Yes, I believe, faith, faith, faith. These people lean in that gap. They lean into that unknown space and they ask questions. If they're people who are doing this, I believe the scriptures are giving us the allowance to see the same thing. So in the midst of that whole conversation, somebody breaks the ice named Thomas to ask the first question. And then as soon as Jesus answers that, another disciple breaks the ice and asks a question. So chapter 14, verse eight, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, 
Show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. If you're familiar with the scriptures, Paul dealt with a whole lot of um, physical struggles. Not only do we all deal with spiritual war, where there's just, you know, you have a thought from your past or an experience in your past, and sometimes it just feels worse than others. It feels like you have a broken arm and then somebody's hitting it. Well, those things that are emotional or, or, or uh, in your mind, the, the scriptures tell us in Ephesians 6 that we're not just fighting against things that have happened in the past or our physical breathing now, our mind. There's a spiritual enemy, a demonic realm that literally goes to those broken places and tries to tell you they hurt again and tries to twist them and tries to hurt them. But all those things are lies and threats. And so Paul not only is experiencing physical things that are lingering, he's not fully bodily well, but he's also dealing with spiritual attacks. So he, that's, that's the same for all of us, by the way. And when Paul is dealing with that, he says that many times in the original language, he says that I've prayed at least on three occasions that God would remove this trouble from me, that he'd remove this pain. He'd remove this struggle that I'm going through, these, this, this issue. And God actually responds to him in that point, and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength will be made perfect in the midst of your weakness. So Paul goes on to say, well, like, if that's the case, then I'm good. Like, I, I don't need you to do anything. If this is about your presence being with me, I'd rather your presence than to be freed from this pain because your presence is more of a priority. Now, my conversation is not to try to get you to choose. God's not saying like, hey, if you choose the pain, I'll be present with you. If I heal you, you won't have my presence. That's, that's not how God works. That's a manipulative way of thinking. Not that you're manipulative, but our culture ten, tends to do that. It's almost karma-like in that way. That's not how God works. So when, when Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us, the same word that Paul uses when he says, my great, when God says, my grace will be sufficient for you, Paul says, well, then your grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough. Your grace is all that I need. So Philip, hearing Jesus say, I'm gonna go away, and then Thomas going like, where are you going? We don't even know how to get there. Philip follows up and goes like, hey, actually, if you just do this, we don't have to actually see that house we don't need to know the address and the GPS coordinates. If you would just show us what Father looks like, who we've never seen, that would be sufficient. We don't need to see the house. We don't need to look at the brick. We don't need to choose the flooring. We don't need to give you any details about where I want my bed and what paint I want on the wall. You know, if you're thinking in a spatial way, if we're thinking silly like that, but we do think that way. We don't have, if you just show us him, that'll be enough. Now, you might think like, man, these people are so mature, they lack faith. But what I believe they're saying and doing and showing us here is in our relationship with God, it's appropriate to, first of all, Thomas, ask questions, number one. And number two, ask follow-up questions about the questions. And if you read this passage as Jesus being an annoyed, frustrated person because people are inquiring to get understanding, I believe you and I would be reading it incorrectly. And I'd like to prove that to you in a few different ways. But you're seeing these points unfold. The first reality of being in relationship with God, one of the things that should be an encouragement to you is if on a weekly basis you go, man, I, I ask God so many questions during the week. I'd be like, wow. And you might be like, since I ask so many questions, I must be immature. Well, if you look at my marriage or my relationship with my children or relationship with my friends, we ask each other, like it's the basis of our greeting to one another. How are you? Is that immature to ask and inquire how somebody's day is doing and how they're feeling and what they're thinking about and dreaming about and, and what they're struggling with? That's not a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of sincerity and care. Now, I'm not just talking about like the pat answer, like, hey, how are you? And you don't even listen type thing. That's a sign of maturity, especially when you say, hey, how are you? And somebody says, I'm really struggling. They go, well, let's talk about it. 
how can I help you? And how did you get in this place? And maybe I can provide this. And I know a person like that. I mean, this is a, wouldn't you say that's means for intimacy? I think that questions actually become a bridge uh, for intimacy rather than a definition of gap. It's a definition of closeness and intimacy and relationship. So when relating with God, ask questions and then ask follow-up questions. Philip starts this conversation. He chimes in after somebody has already asked coordinate questions and destination questions and address questions. He asks a relational question. And then Jesus responds like this. Verse nine, chapter 14, Jesus said to him, said to Philip, and by the way, Philip is, you guys maybe heard of the disciples. There's these 12 individuals that Jesus calls and says, come follow me and and that meant like, I'm gonna show you what God is like. I'm gonna show you the kingdom of heaven on earth. And they've been hanging out with him for this point, three years. So Thomas and Philip, maybe you've heard of uh, the apostle Peter or John or James. These are just some uh, two of the 12. So Philip is one of them. And so he answers, he says to Philip, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Now you can look at that and be like, man, I've been with you so long. How do you not get this? That's kind of like, uh, you know, a northern personality is just going to tell you how, how they feel. And I personally love those New Jerseyans and people who just kind of shoot their, well, they, they fire, then they aim, and then they get ready. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I like knowing where I stand with people, but I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. He goes on to say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Listen, the words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. So, the things he's been saying, he's saying, listen, I get you're asking these questions, but as you're talking to me and we're interacting, you're hearing from Father. You're knowing Father because if you know me, you trust me, you hear me, you believe me, you believe him. He's, he's helping Philip understand that he knows more than he thinks he knows. He's helping Thomas the same thing. And the questions you're asking, you might think because you're asking that question, you don't know him or you haven't seen him or you're not in the fact that you're asking questions should be evidence that you actually are in, not that you're out. That's one of the things that, uh, that God taught me early in my relationship with him, probably 20 years ago, when I would struggle with my relationship with the Lord and, and long for him. And then sometimes I just felt like, oh, a gap, like, oh, I want to be with him and I haven't been with him. Someone came along and said, hey, how do you interpret that? I go, man, I've just been unfaithful and foolish and I'm just far from him. They went, actually, the fact that you're wrestling with God and and longing for him, but there's a, still a longing at the end of the day shows that you've been with him the whole time. If you didn't long for him and didn't have thoughts about him, then I'd be worried about you. So all of my longing and want and questions that seem to linger for me and be like undone and unmet, people came to me and just said, hey, maybe that's a sign that something good's happening. You're just longing for what you already have in him and you're, just, you're hungry for more. And that changed my perspective to see if I'm longing or struggling, or even if I felt guilt or shame after a sin, that wasn't God saying, shame on you, but it was God putting in me like, that doesn't taste as good as it did, does it, Chris? And I went, no, Lord. And he said, I have, I have for you. It's amazing if you understand God and his kindness rather than God as constant judge and discouraged with us. He goes on to say, believe, believe me, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else... Believe on the account of the works themselves. You realize uh, in chapter 10, in chapter 10 of John, Jesus says something almost identical to this. Chapter 10, verse 37, 38. That last line in chapter 14, let me just read it again, then I'm gonna read chapter 10. If the slides are on 10, just stay there. Believe me that I am in the Father and Father is in me. That's pretty mysterious. Hold that for a second. Or else just believe on account of the works themselves. Do you realize 
Thomas and Philip are asking questions and they're not really getting the answers they want. They're not understanding. Really, all Jesus is saying is like, you know more than you think you know. We're, we're, spatial word, not good theologically because there is no space between us and God. He's in you if you believe in Christ and you have a relationship with God, he's in you. There's no proximity difference, but for the sake of the moment, Jesus is saying, you're closer than you think, but that still is, it, I think the enemy used that word close and like, oh, I gotta do something else. Like, no, God did for you what you could never do for yourself. Ephesians chapter two says that, that while we were still sinning, while we were rebellious, while we were hurling insults at God and rebellious and self-centeredness, he like came in, not face first, he came in and like got in our shoes with us and like changed our turn, like, God, I need you. That's, I mean, that is exactly what happened for me. I went from cursing God and hiding from him to literally like the next second going like, God, I want you. And I was like, oh my goodness, what did I just say? That's not good. And the kindness of God just changed me. I believe it's because somehow the Holy Spirit of God got inside of me and changed how I saw him. And he fielded my questions in a way that I never understood he did. So he just says, believe on the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the works themselves. Let me just read this chapter 10, verse 37. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, people are asking him about his works, and they actually wanted to put him to death in this passage. Just a few chapters earlier, just a few days prior to this time in Jesus' life, he was doing some amazing things, and they wanted to see more things. And he goes, hey, what work, what outward sign, because he had raised somebody from the dead, Somebody was blind their whole life and he, he helped their eyes see. They were healed. He was able to teach things and know things that people could never understand. And they said, we're gonna put you to death. And he goes, what good thing are you going to put me to death for? Because all these things are evidence that, that heaven exists, that God exists. What are you gonna put me to death for? And they said, no, 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 we're not putting you to death because of those things. We can't argue with all the miracles, all the healing, all the teaching. It's, it's everything we've ever dreamt but it's because you say that you have a relationship with God in such a way that you call him your father and you make yourself equal with him that we're gonna kill you. In chapter 10, look what he goes on to say. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. So if, if these things are not possible, if these things can be done by man, then don't believe me. But if these things are done by, by the one that you believe is God, which they wouldn't have even called God father at this time, God father, Space there, not the Godfather. They wouldn't have called God Papa and Daddy and Father because he was, he was in their minds, the space between us and him was unchasmable, too far, too long, too distant. And so they wouldn't ask God questions. They wouldn't have done those things because he's too far from them. But even in the Old Testament, there were people like David who asked tons of questions like that. It was just a poor way of thinking. He goes on to say this. Listen, chapter 10, I'm still there. Verse 38, but if I do those things, even though you don't believe me, Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Do you, I just, just, you know, you know what God's, you know what Jesus' personality is like? And Jesus, by the way, his personality represents Father's personality and spirit. If there's one thing that's being said really clearly in this passage, Jesus is saying, my personality is the exact imprint of Father's personality. The book of Hebrews, there's a, a writer that writes to all the Jewish people called the Hebrews. And the Jewish writer goes on to say, if, you, if you're interested in how how the Jewish people thought about Jesus. Just read the whole book of Hebrews this afternoon. That's a pretty easy reading. It'd be stunning. But the Hebrew writer, the people who write the Hebrews, he says, Jesus is the exact imprint. It's like a melting wax and you press a stamp onto that and you see the exact imprint of something. What the author of Hebrews is saying is, I know you've never seen God the Father, but Jesus is God the Father's imprint. So if you're wondering what God the Father would say here, Jesus said it. If you're wondering what God the Father would do here, 
Jesus did it. If you're wondering how, how God the Father would handle sin, Jesus shows you. Now that got scandalous too because a lot of the people who were asking him questions, not the disciples, but others, couldn't stand Jesus because he didn't look anything like them. They figured when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, he'll look just like us. We're righteous, we tell everybody about all the bad things they're doing, and we make sure everybody knows how good we're doing. And Jesus was the most frustrated with those people, not people like his disciples who were asking questions. So but my point in chapter 10 and chapter 14 is this. In their questions, he's fielding them, but he's also like, I don't even know a great word for it. He, he's allowing them to, to not get it. <laughs> he's like, well, okay, if you don't understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father, do you believe that the miracles happen? They're like, yeah, we can't deny those. You're like, okay. Well, then could you just believe that the miracles happen and those miracles are representative of God the Father? They're like, yeah, we can do that. Because he realized that in life, these guys who were watching and physically seeing and smelling and talking to Jesus struggled with believing in Jesus then. How difficult is it for you and me to believe in Jesus and we don't even get to see him like that? Do you realize? We might be like, man, if I walk with Jesus, if I was one of his disciples, I wouldn't ask any questions because I would see him. I'd like stroke his hair. Like I'd help him braid it. Man, it'd be awesome. We'd be buddies. These people had all of that. And Jesus himself accounted for their lack of belief and said, well, what could you believe today? Not like a salesperson, like, what's it gonna take to get you in that car today? No offense to anybody who's selling cars. It's just a, a line that we all say. Jesus is looking at him and saying, you're asking questions and I know you wanna believe and what can you believe today? Well, we believe that no one could do those things except for God. Okay, good. Well, his name's Father. We can never call him Father. You can now. Really? You mean, because that's like how you interact with God. Yeah, you're gonna do the same thing. We will? Yeah. Later he goes, you're actually gonna cry out, Abba, Father. Like you, It's gonna be intimate, 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 close. Family. We believe in the power stuff. We can't deny that. Everyone believes in that, Jesus. Okay, well, could you believe that's from God? Of course that's from God. We just don't know about you. He's like, I can handle that. You know, if we don't get the admiration and the attention and the respect that we feel like we deserve, we don't make it an argument about who's mentored us or what we do. We just, what about me, 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 me? Jesus is like, that's okay. I love you. I count for your disbelief. I mean, Jesus is so kind. God's so kind. He counts for your unbelief and says, let's talk about it. So if you're in a relationship with God, ask questions. And you, if you feel like God answered, don't feel like, whoo, I better not ask again because, man, he answered. I, I mean, I should just be satisfied with that. No, keep asking questions. Thomas lifts his hand and asks a question. Then Philip's like, hey, I've got a better answer. I got a better question. What if you just show us the Father? We don't have to know where he lives or how to get there, but just show us him. That'll be enough for us. We'll just get a vision of him, and that would be incredible. And listen, they have biblical history because there was a guy back in history that says, that, that was walking with God, and he said, God, would you just show me your glory? Show me your glory. And God puts this individual behind literally a physical rock, and all he sees is like the back of God, not necessarily like his, you know, scapular muscles or anything like that, or his latissimus dorsi. He actually sees the glory of God passing by. So there was context for them to say, just show us what he looks like. Just show us him. Do you realize they're literally physically in front of him, asking him to see him, and yet they don't get it. And instead of Jesus going like, you guys are such idiots. Albert Einstein's gonna say like, anybody who asks a question is dumb. No, the person who doesn't ask a question is the one who remains uninformed. Jesus invites these kind of interactions. 
So the first thought for us this morning is ask questions. This has been the heart of God all along. Proverbs chapter two. Proverbs chapter two. And Proverbs is written by a guy named Solomon mainly. And he just, he, he was endowed with the greatest wisdom in history and he just tells people what God's like and who he is. He says this in Proverbs chapter two, verse six. The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That's, that's who he is. It's what he does. He just gives you understanding. Proverbs eight, verse 17 says this. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. God, I love you, but don't focus on your butt. Just, God, I love you. When you say the butt portion, you're literally trying to discount yourself and self-justify and, and say like, I know I'm part of your family, but I also am an outsider. Like, stop it. I love you that you love me. And he says, and come seek me and you'll find me. I love how Oliver talks about it. He says, God has hidden himself in plain sight for all of us to see in the scriptures and in life. He's not like this masterful hide and seeker and we've always been on a, a game of hide and seek and no one's ever found him because he has the best hiding place. He's constantly going, surprise, I've been here the whole time. He's like a kid, you know, like you count to 10 and they're like literally next to you and their eyes are closed, but they're like standing against just a bare wall and you like look at him and like, that's the worst hiding spot ever and you kind of like play around, but he's right. I mean, God wants you to seek him and he wants you to find him. Matthew 7, verse 7 through 8, this is an amplified version, which means, um, it, and actually, this is, this is actually a better rendering of the original language, but it's amplified. It's just really making it loud and clear. Listen to how Jesus talks about seeking him. Ask and keep on asking, and it'll be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives, and everyone who keeps on seeking finds, and everyone who keeps on knocking, that door's gonna be open. You know, when I read in the scriptures, uh, Paul, Paul says, for I wish I, myself a curse for the sake of my brothers. He was thinking about his, his friends and the people he did life with who didn't have a relationship with God. And he said, I wish myself a curse and cut off for the sake of them. When you read that in the original uh, Greek language, this is something that looks like he just said one time, like, man, I wish I was dead so those people could live. If you read in the original, it says he keeps saying this, like, God, I just wish, I wish myself, like, just thrust me apart from you so they could have you. God, please, please, just take my life away that they could have life. God, please. And he's repeating Moses, who did the very same thing in the Old Testament when the people of God were rebellious. He says, Moses goes, God, blot my name out of your ledger that has everybody's name that's in your family. Go ahead and take me out of your family so that they can be spared. Take me out, take me out. It's a repeated thing. So when God's saying, ask, seek, knock, it's just not like, okay, I've got one. It's not like a genie with three wishes. That's silly. What relationship? Now, if you've been a parent that says your child only gets one opportunity to talk in the day, be a little kinder. You, you reflect the glory of God to your child. Get some patience. Uh, that's terribly forceful, and I, I argue with myself, don't just get patience. That's a gift of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit with your kiddos. Help them see that I could ask mommy and daddy questions anytime. Like we have pausing TV now, there's no excuse anymore. Like you can totally not miss a thing on your silly things that you and I do. We reflect and show them the glory of God in that way. Ask questions. A question doesn't mean you don't believe. I would love for you to think, man, maybe a question means that I wanna believe more. What if you saw yourself and the way you think is, a question doesn't mean I don't believe somebody. A question means I really want to believe rather than evidence that I don't. Because see, I think the enemy is, I mean, I know he is. He's partnering with you. You don't want him there, but he's chosen to go like, hey, I'll help you figure things out. And when you ask God a question or you're thinking about it, the enemy is going like, you dummy, you should know this by now. I think he talked about this last week. 
I think you read a devotion about it this morning. I'm pretty sure you tweeted about this last week, and now you're asking a question about it? What's wrong with you? The enemy is just sowing all these things to cause you to think there's separation rather than the question is a bridge towards intimacy. Don't let the enemy do that. Second thing I want to say this morning is just, and I'm just reviewing and closing right now, follow-up questions with questions. Thomas just simply said in John 14, 5, he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Later on in John chapter 20, which we're gonna get there in a few weeks, Thomas shows up. So Thomas is the one asking questions. Philip's the one asking follow-up questions. I just wanna, I wanna show you the fruit of people who ask questions. Just wanna give you a little bit of evidence of it. Thomas, we know, historically has been called the doubting Thomas. Thomas would appreciate it if we'd start calling him the touching Thomas or something more appropriate doesn't make us giggle. Because in chapter 20, Jesus shows up to him in, in Matthew's account. Uh, I'm sorry, in John's account, it's nine days after Jesus is already resurrected from the dead. And Jesus walks through a wall because the door's locked. He just walks through a wall and he, needs, he actually brings it up. <laughs> because when Jesus resurrected from the dead, Thomas goes, man, I don't believe it. Unless I see him, unless I touch him, Unless I actually, because, you know, I, I know he was on the cross. Unless I touch those, those nails that were in his hands, like the, those holes, or unless I touch that where the sword went right here in the side, I'm not going to believe him. Doubt? Or if he's real, I want to hug him. Because Jesus brings it up nine days later and says, Hey, Thomas, why don't you put your finger in right here in my hands? Hey, Thomas, why don't, why don't you put your hand and place it in my side where they put a sword in to see if I was dead yet? You, why don't you come do that? Thomas, don't disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him. Here's Thomas's answer. It's awesome. My Lord and my God. Because after Thomas said this, Jesus remembers it. Je- Thomas has this space where he's potentially disbelieving, and Jesus says, Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what your questions are. I will remember them and I'll actually initiate and engage. I know what you're thinking, buddy. So, I mean, walk in the room. You know, everybody was like, bro, Thomas, why are you still doubting? I mean, people could have done that or they could have said like, man, Thomas, Thomas just wants to, to touch, to taste, to see, to know. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? When my kids got out of the car today, I didn't just wave. I wanted to hug them. And I did. I wanted to kiss my wife on the side of her head somewhere. And I did. Something wrong with that? Did, well, I didn't, I, I, thought they, I thought they were like figments of my imagination. So I'm like, no, it's, it's intimacy. The last thing I want to say is uh, Philip. The next time we see Philip, it's one of the most stunning but normal passages in scripture. Acts chapter eight. Okay, so Philip, here's a question and then has the, courage, the normalcy to ask a follow-up question. All right, if you won't tell us the address, you won't tell us where the house is or how to get there, can you just show us the guy who has all the influence, Father? And Jesus is like, hey, you're, you're looking at the Father. What the Father does, I do. What the Father did. And we're going to get to that theologically in the next few weeks. But listen to this passage. Chapter 8. If you're not familiar with this story, it's a stunner. So read Hebrews and then go back and read Acts after it today. That'll be your good times. Chapter 8. This is the next time we see Philip, all right? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place and he arose and went. So the guy who asked follow-up questions, the next time we see him on his journey and his relationship with God, an angel of the Lord is hanging out and talking with him. 
And I'm not just saying if you ask follow-up questions that an angel of the Lord is gonna be dispatched and hang out with you and answer questions for you. But what I can say is this is just a normal example. There's nothing, I mean, the guy, the guys who seem to be doubters or outsiders or non-believers have angels dispatched for them so they understand. The passage goes on to say, so he gets up and he heads that way. And he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So this is a guy who's like the master of treasury. He's an accountant, okay? He's an accountant. He's, he's protected all this accounting stuff. And he had come to Jerusalem, this Ethiopian eunuch, who was coming and returning, and he was seated in his chariot, and he was reading uh, one of the prophets of, uh, of the Old Testament, Isaiah, who was prophesying about Jesus. So now, verse 29, the Holy Spirit of God said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So last time we saw Philip, he's like, hey, I've got a follow-up idea. Why don't you just show us the Father and that'll be, that'll be sufficient. That'll be enough for us. We don't have to know the location or the address. I got one up, let's just meet him. And Jesus is like, you, you've already been hanging out with him the whole time. The next time we see Philip, he's so attentive and, and curious, like Albert Einstein in a sense, that the angel says, hey, go there. And he's like, okay. You see, he didn't even, he didn't even ask a question about that. An angel appeared to him, he didn't even ask a question, he just went. And then when he gets there, the Holy Spirit shows up. So, so far, he's got an angel of the Lord going, hey, what's up, man, go over here. He's like, all right, I'll do that. He goes over to this other place and he gets there. And now the Holy Spirit of God's talking to him. My friend who's a psychiatrist, I talk about my faith and how I hear God like that. And I said, if I ever came to your hospital and told you I heard God like this, what would you do? And they said, we'd check you in. You'd be institutionalized. I'm serious. And that's part of our faith journey is we have to account for God speaking these ways. This is, this is the age we live in, by the way. This is the beginning days of the age we live in now. The story doesn't end though, check it out. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked. So that chariot over there, <laughs> Spirit's like, hey, go catch up with him. So he's like, literally run like, hey. I mean, that's like you, you cross in the street and you see somebody turn in or whatever and you start running after their car. I mean, this is just gonna be crazy. So he runs up to him and he goes, hey, do you understand what you're reading? It's a good opening question. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come and sit in his Honda Accord with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was something like this, and it was from the book of Isaiah. And so the eunuch that said to Philip, hey, can I ask you, like, is this prophet guy, is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And Philip's like, man, you ask good questions. It was cool that you, you didn't understand and you said, hey, I don't understand if someone helped unless somebody helps me. That was a good question, first of all. That was cool that you were humble like that. That's gonna lead you to something good. And then he goes, can I ask you a question? Maybe this is a dumb question. Maybe it's stupid. Maybe I shouldn't even ask it, but is he writing about himself or somebody else? He's like, no, that's a good question. Philip opened his mouth and began to tell him with the scripture that he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said there, in a question again, basically, hey, check it out, there's water. Hey, what prevents me from getting baptized? Maybe that's a dumb question. No, that's probably a dumb question. It was probably dumb of me to say like, I don't know what I'm reading. It was probably dumb of me to say like, who is he writing about? And it's probably dumb of me to say like, hey, can I, can I have my life radically changed and live with God forever and ever? And can I demonstrate that by getting baptized? You, you see that? How the enemy's just like, man, everything you think and all the gaps you have are your evidence of you're dumb, you're stupid, you're an outsider. Even an outsider is willing to say, hey, can you help me figure out things I don't wanna figure out? Story's not over. So Ethiopian eunuch commands the chariot to stop and the two of them go down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he gets baptized. I mean, this is awesome. All through just question asking. Like, and you know Philip, 
Philip, who was a question of asker and at least the follow-up question asker. It's like the person who asked the question in the room, in the classroom, and you kind of think you get the right answer out there, and then somebody asks the follow-up question, they're asking another thing. It's like, oh man, this is going the wrong way. It's going the right way, not the wrong way. Because God entertains questions and follow-up questions. So they get baptized and look at verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way. But Philip found himself in Asdus and he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Part of our faith, part of where we belong in the spirit age and the church age, when, when Philip comes out of, out of the water, he shows up 20 miles north in a second, less than a second. That's called transportation, not of the spirit, but of the physical body. <laughs> Who's Philip? Oh, is any of that guy who like asked the follow-up question when Jesus was peacing out and like going to do his thing? Is it, are those are those guys who had the, if we see questions as gap of distance and outside in unbelief, it's just crazy talk. The kingdom of God says, I welcome your questions. If you're tired and you're weary, come to me and I'll give you rest mentally, physically, emotionally. Cast your cares on me, I care for you. If I can commend one thing to you pastorally, and if I can commend one thing to you as a follower of Christ and you're a follower of Christ, Ask every single question you can think of, but please listen for answers. And when you sense an answer, ask a follow-up question. And the last thing is just simply this. Philip eventually becomes a person who where he might not understand all the way, he steps in faith. And that's just that third point this morning. I'm not making another point, I'm just closing it. Some answers can only be found through faith. Philip, go to that place. Okay. Did he know what he's gonna do? No. Did he understand? No. Philip, angel then the spirit go run after that car and ask him if he knows what he's reading that seems like a silly question he's reading something of course he knows what he's reading just ask him it's going to be humiliating but just do it thanks for asking that question because i don't know what i'm reading that humility primed humility the, the, the point guys by the way by the way the point is not well i want to hear an angel lord i got to start asking more questions and and man i want to hear from the holy spirit like i got to start asking questions and and i got to obey and if i do those things then i'm going to beam like back up to spartanburg without even using gasoline this is awesome like the point is not the power and the provision and all these signs and miracles the point is being with the presence of god and knowing that you're home in him and he's home in you and if you're in a safe home you can ask questions and you can get things wrong and you can learn together and in a space where you don't understand, it's good to put faith not in answers, but him specifically and solely. I commend you. You are loved by God. You are home in him, and he has already made his home in you. Find comfort in his presence with you. Power and transportation of the body and miracles are all secondary to his presence. All those things will pass away, and for eternity, we'll just be with pray over this house and the authority that Jesus has given to me as an ambassador of him. The peace of God would be known in your spirit right now and in your body. That you would know that you are loved this morning. That all the idiosyncrasies and all the quirks about you are things that God has not only accounted for, but he loves Yahweh himself, as Christ said, Father, as you are in me and I am in you, may we be in them. May you find the very center of yourself is not rebellious, not foolish, not cynical, but the very center of yourself is Christ, his spirit.